Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. In the spring and summer of 1969, the Beatles recorded their 11th album, Abbey Road, and the iconic cover was not liked by their record label. They thought you needed the Beatles' name and their album title on it or else no one would buy it. Okay, a little bit wrong there. Fun fact, photographer Ian McMillan was given 10 minutes. He had a stepladder and the police was behind him blocking traffic and he took six shots. Six. Not like there's all those digital ones you flip through and you just toss away now. Six. And they found this one perfectly spaced. Good thing. Um, they just, I've seen recently, they've sold off some of the other non-chosen ones, the alternates. Also interesting, side two includes a medley. The songs weren't quite as finished as full numbers, so Paul wanted to connect them together. Now, John critiqued the long one, which is what they called it when they were recording it. So he didn't think it had a consistent narrative. Why are we putting all these together? But the music wove them together. And there are, we've got 16 minutes of eight songs that producer George Martin worked with Paul to stitch them all together. Now, one of the pieces of the medley Kept playing in my brain this week, so I wanted to get it in your head. Played it as we were greeting one another today. Carry that weight. I got my dad Paul McCartney's book, The Lyrics, for Christmas, and I might have put the slide out of order, but that is where Paul describes each of the songs he wrote. Um, if you can flip to that, and you can go back. So what I wanted to read from is, what was this weight all about? You know, like I'm singing it in my head and I'm thinking what motivated this song. So let me read just a snippet from the book, The Lyrics. Paul says, we were entering a period in the mid to late 60s. We were doing LSD, staying up all night, then wishing it would wear off, discovering it wouldn't. He said, once you got into the more serious stuff, you were just sort of doing it. There wasn't a light relief. It could be oppressive. So he just Felt like the lightness of all the youth, like we're getting too old for this. That coupled with the business problems at Apple Records, which were really horrible. The business meetings were soul-destroying. We'd sit around in an office and it was a place you just didn't want to be. With people you didn't want to be with. He said, the whole period weighed on me to such an extent that even I began to think it was all tied in with the idea of original sin. He said, my mom had christened me as a Catholic, but we weren't brought up Catholic, so I didn't buy into the concept on a day-to-day basis. But I just started to think about being born and the heaviness that came with it. So carry that weight echoes again and again. And actually in other interviews, Paul has noted that looking back, it meant something different over different time periods for him. And at one point, as he sang it, he felt the sorrow that happened over the sudden death of their original manager, Brian Klein, in 1967. And so sometimes when he sings the song, that's the weight he's carrying. As we finish up the book of 1 Peter today, Peter has reminders 
to all the followers of Jesus of the different ways that they're carrying burdens. And he's going to encourage them to take some of the burdens of their past and put them aside, but to look around at the present struggles and learn how to carry that together. So we're finishing the first section of our series, Hope and Light, in 1 Peter, and next week we'll get into 1 John. And these are two disciples who spent day in and day out with Jesus directly. They weren't just followers, they were his friends, and they were commissioned to take what they had learned and go out and spread his good news. So we're getting to read two examples of how they did that, how they took what they learned from Jesus and tried to teach other Christians, look, here's how to live like Jesus in your context. So let's recall that these were letters, and so they're just a piece of the full conversation. And they were about specific situations that the people in that day were going through. And so we take it in light of looking at their culture at the time, looking at ours, and seeing how did they live it out? How do we live out like Jesus? So we're going to be today in a bit of 1 Peter 4 and a bit of 1 Peter 5. So let's begin in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4. And I apologize in advance that I am a little less strong in my voice today. So then, just as the Messiah suffered in the flesh, you too must equip yourselves with the same mental armor. Someone who suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of their mortal life, no longer according to human desires, but according to God's will. Pagan ways of life have all had quite enough of your time already. You should put all that behind you for good. All that uncleanness, passion, drunkenness, excessive feasting, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. People are shocked that you don't join with them in the same wild and reckless behavior, and so they call down curses on you. Have you ever gotten to the point in life where, like Paul said here, like Peter said in scripture, and Paul McCartney said, was like, I'm just too old for this. There's a lot going on. I can't stay out as late as I used to. I find not, those parties are not as fun anymore. I just want to just hang out at home. Or maybe you just created boundaries for your own health. You know that more sleep is important and better food choices, excessive eating, and everything is just a lot. It weighs down. Or maybe it's about your spirit. And maybe you know that some things are better for you. Or you're in recovery and you're just making these choices that are bringing benefits to your life. And sometimes people look and think, why don't you hang out with us anymore? Why don't you do all the things you used to do? Not everyone understands the choices that we make. And Peter has spoken earlier that the choices believers will make makes them like other And he encouraged them to steward what made them different in order to help people. But here he's saying again, yes, others might look at you strangely, but you've already spent plenty of time in life doing that. Time to move on. Now, the specific things that he describes are actually some situations that people would have been involved with, especially with idol worship, which Scholars think that is why he pointed out some of these specific situations because the parties he's talking about and the certain feasting that usually was in honor in the Roman Empire of the different gods of the day. That was kind of the theme of their parties. And so all of these situations that 
Peter described was to say, you're pulling back from that specifically for a spiritual reason as well as for probably good healthy choices. But it's interesting that he urged them toward better habits with this statement. Once you've suffered, you've moved away from sin. Does that feel true to life? Because once you've gone through some stuff and maybe you've lost people in your life, or maybe you know you've made choices that have separated you from some people in your life, once you've gone through a near-death experience or you've returned from a harsh illness, like what's important in life kind of zeroes in, doesn't it? And you can think like, I have limited time on this earth. I want to spend it with people I love doing positive things, right? So I feel like suffering, as Peter says here, yeah, I think we could all probably nod along and say, yeah, once you've gone through some suffering, it changes your perspective. And not saying that you don't have joy anymore, but he's like, you're, you're choosing your time differently, and hopefully you're serving others. And that's what Peter says now. He's like, if you're letting go of these things that were your former life, what are you going to pick back up? So let's look at verse 8. Here's what he wants people to pick up. Above all, keep absolutely firm in your love for one another because love covers over a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each of you has received a gift, so you should use it for ministry one to another as good stewards of God's many-sided grace. If anyone speaks, they should do so as speaking God's oracles. If anyone ministers, they should do it as in the strength which God grants, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus, the Messiah, to whom be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful picture of the church as a whole and of these house churches here that Paul is Peter is speaking to. Sorry, I'm going to keep saying the wrong name when I started with Paul McCartney. Okay, Peter. That's who's the writer here. So this is an inspiration to us today too. But this reminder to love, he keeps bringing this up. He told us earlier in chapter 1 to love each other strenuously, like with all of your strength, through good times and bad. And here he's saying again, be absolutely firm in your love for each other. He's keeping to remind them because loving each other can be hard, right? There's times where we struggle. But he says it covers over a multitude of sins. And not that, that they were just going to ignore things and sweep things under the rug. We've all been in relationships like that, and it just comes to the surface at some point, doesn't it? So he's saying that when you have true love with other believers, you get through tension together that you can experience disagreements and come out on the other side and still be friends. I was sharing with a women's group over the weekend, and we were looking at the story of Martha and how several times she, like, said stuff straight to Jesus, and they had this friendship that they could, like, she did disagreed with him, and yet they still had this relationship intact. Jesus demonstrated that. Peter himself, what did he do? In his friendship with Jesus, they had tension, didn't he? He denied Jesus, and yet Jesus restored him to show that love, love can bring about this restoration. And that's 
That's the quote here from Proverbs 10, verse 12. That's where Peter is deriving this from Scripture. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. So Peter is saying, look, this love, it's not just about, you know, surface happy moments. But it's like you have to, you have to dig in. You have to work through. You have to walk through tension together. And then he connects that next after the love is to be hospitable. And we've already spoken of how important this was in ancient culture. So if you were being hospitable as a person in a home in this time, you might offer to host. There was traveling teachers and missionaries and prophets coming through town to try to share Jesus with others. And you might open your home to them. That's one way to be hospitable. You might provide a meal for your fellow Christians. You might offer to bring the bread and the wine for communion. You might provide space for worship to be at your house. And you also might just care for new believers. Moving into town, fellow Jesus followers, welcome them in. Other believers who don't have all the means to take care of everything by the end of the month, we've all, people, we felt this, right? And so they would live together, and this hospitality was about receiving others in. Now, I do enjoy this. The Dajaki is, is an anonymous writer, but is written in the first century AD and talked about how believers would live this out. And they put limits on the hospitality. Here's a little clip. Let every apostle and prophet who comes to you be welcomed as the Lord, but he should not stay longer than a day, or if he has a need, another day. If he stays three, he is a false prophet. <laughs> I just like that. That's just cracking me up. It's like, if he can't get it done in a day, it must not be real. So they had their limits of hospitality, but Peter says, do all of these things with the strength that the Lord provides. Because he knows, just like we know, we're humans. We're interacting with each other. We're going to, like, step on some toes sometimes. So he's trying to be like, lean on God's strength. Because it's hard to love other people at times. Even this, this positive hospitality, can be hard. It's like a, a burden to carry at times. Now notice that Peter used the word stewards of God's multi, many-sided grace. I love that translation. This is the New Testament for everyone. Also, it's, written, it's originally British, so when you see the O-U-R, that's why. Okay, so if you notice that he says steward, and we have said All of this is like you're taking what you've been given and you're a steward. You're just holding it for God and using it for his glory. And Peter's looking around and he said, every one of you has been given something from God. If you're following him, he doesn't leave you empty-handed. You have talent. You have skills. You have opportunities. And they're unique to you. Your combination of passions, gifts, and just potential people you get to meet every day is unique than anyone else in the world. You can use that for God's glory and for one another. He's like, build up each other with those gifts. He's like, minister and serve and speak as if you are speaking for Jesus himself. That is a way to glorify God that all of us take part let's keep going. We're going to switch to 1 Peter 5. And this is how Peter ends up the letter. We have talked about different pieces and different themes. And he's just given some last encouragement. 
he says, let all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So again, he's trying to connect them in unity as a body of believers. He said, you see, God resists the proud but gives grace to the lowly. Humble yourselves then under God's powerful hand so he may lift you up in the right time. Throw all your care upon him because he cares about you. Just a couple of short verses here, yet there's some big concepts. So this humility reminder, we talked last week when we were looking at the different relationships that people had in this time as shepherds, spouses, slaves, and we looked at the humility Peter was asking for them to have in those relationships. And so here he says, just a reminder, just put it on, like your favorite shirt, like a cozy cardigan, just throw on that humility, clothe yourselves with it. Now, I had a conversation with someone this week, and because we were talking about this idea of like, sometimes when you hear this and you think you might feel a little defensive, like, but if I'm humble, then I'm not, what if I'm not standing up for myself or what people could walk all over me, or I'm not allowed to speak the truth, but how we share truth our tone or our timing or our approach or our attitude with love, that makes all the difference. That's that humility. It's how we share things with one another, the hard things and the blessings. But also, humility here doesn't mean like, I don't, I don't see any translation where it's kind of like, be a doormat, that get ignored, be invisible. Humility is seeing the way God sees you. And we've, God cares about us. He identifies us as his child, as co-heirs with Christ, who is the king. So we're like siblings of the king. Like That's an honor. But humility is considering others that way too. To look around and realize someone else is also created in God's image. That this person is co-heirs right along with us. So seeing humility it's like seeing other people and wanting the best for them, too. And here's the fun part. If you are humbly looking out for me, and I'm humbly looking out for you, if we're doing it right, everybody's needs are getting seen because we're all looking out for each other. So Peter's like, live in this spirit of togetherness rather than individual, and you're going to find all the fulfillment. You're going to look like Jesus by doing so. And he's like, you know what? Even if you feel unseen by humans, he promises, Peter says, God is going to see you and lift you up. You're going to be lifted up by God himself. Now, I speak these words aloud as a reminder to myself too. Like this is one of those passages where this week I'm like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> I wrote it down. I know I'm supposed to hear it too. It's hard. It's hard because I live in my own head every day. It's hard to stop and look outside of ourselves sometimes. But just like the humility is like putting on clothes, I like the way a biblical professor, Richard Benson, described that last verse where it said to like throw all your cares upon God. He's just like, Think of it like, like you're taking a blanket and tossing it over a horse. I don't know why that made me smile, and I found a cute little horse, and I wish the gif would play, but he basically 
he pulls the blanket and he wraps himself up in it. It's really cute. I'll try to post it in the email so you can watch cute little horse cuddles. Um, but so basically, I'm just thinking like that's something big and powerful and you like throw something on it. doesn't bother the horse. The horse can hold onto a blanket. That's just like, like God can handle our stuff. And if you're just like letting go of that and, and getting it off of your own shoulders, it just feels lighter. But God, he's ready to carry that weight, all the stuff that we've got. Now, I want to make sure that we normalize this. Let's look at that last verse in the NIV. It says, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. So different translation. You could say worries, anxieties, care. These are all synonyms. But look. Anxiety here is not labeled as unusual, as strange, as different, as a problem. It's just, it is a problem, but it's, it's a common thing. Peter's like, you're going to experience this as a believer. And when you do, give it to God. And I want to make sure that we here at Echo Church, that I say it out loud because I know we believe in it, that our mental well-being is important and coordinates along with our spiritual well-being. So we talk about anxiety here, and it's, we're going to have the conversation, and depression, and suicidal thoughts, that these are things we can speak of without shame, because we're sharing those burdens with one another. That it matters, that we can find resources with one another, that we can ask each other advice for therapists and for extra time to walk and pray and talk through things because we all go through it. So let's speak it out loud. Peter wasn't afraid to say, you're going to have anxiety. You're going to have worries. You're going to have burdens. God is ready to carry that. Let's keep going in verse 8. Peter says, stay in control of yourselves and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, stalking around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, staying resolute in your faith, knowing that other family members in the rest of the world are facing identical sufferings. Then, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you in the Messiah Jesus to the glory of his new age, will himself put you in good order, establish and strengthen you, and set you on firm foundations. While Peter has mentioned suffering before, excuse me, <clears throat> and we've discussed that in the Roman Empire, they were facing potential persecution. They were facing people physically assaulting them because they were Christians or just cutting them out of the community, sending them away. Like these were all physical human beings who could do this to them. And yet Peter is saying, let's remember the real enemy. The evil behind people's choices all is from this same source. And that's what Peter is reminding these believers. And Peter also notes that there is suffering experienced by other family members around the world. So number one, he calls all believers family and I hope that we think that way today that we know there are brothers and sisters in Christ who have already spent time worshiping this morning who will continue throughout today that around the world we have family in Christ and although you don't want to think about someone else 
suffering, when you're going through a hard time and then you find out someone else has like persevered through a hard time, it's just, it's kind of comforting that you're not alone or that you can see that someone else has come out on the other side and it gives us hope. So Peter is just saying, you feel isolated now, but God looks around and all kinds of people are hurting. You're not alone and you can persevere. Peter reminds the believers that God sees and he promises to set them on those foundations. That those, that whole last sentence, those four verbs about putting you in good order, establishing you, strengthening you, setting you on firm foundations, it was about this permanence to say that God is putting you somewhere and you don't, you're not going to move. You're in his vision. You are in his good grace. You're not moving from there. No matter how the world seems unstable, God has placed you somewhere and you have a firm foundation. Let's wrap this up. The final notes from Peter. It's his little closing to the letter. He says, I've written this briefly and I'm sending it to you with Sylvanus. And another translation of that name is Silas. We might have heard of him in the book of Acts. He said, whom I regard as a faithful brother. My main point is that to urge and bear witness to you that this grace in which you stand is the true grace of God. Your chosen sister in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and peace to you all in the Messiah. So as much as Peter is encouraging other believers to be unified, he comes from a unified position here. And it's been interesting to study and think about how these New Testament letters were written. Because sometimes we might imagine, like, if you were going to sit down and write a letter, where would you go? Would you sit down in your home in a special little office? Like, that's probably not what the situation is here. These are traveling different apostles. And they might just be hanging out in the marketplace, writing down scraps, and then sending it off with friends or talking together and what does this church need to be encouraged by okay let's write that let's write this down right so they worked together unified even as they were stewarding what they had the wisdom that they were trying to share peter's like i didn't do it alone i've got mark here and and silas is bringing this to you and the whole church your chosen sister in babylon is supposed to reflect the church in rome and he's like, whole churches are thinking about you and what you're doing, praying for you and your home churches. And so Peter reassures them. He said, the whole point of this whole letter was just to let you know this grace is real. This is it. What God did through Jesus, that's, it's true. Because I don't know about you, but when you go through hard times, sometimes you start to question. You're like, well, is, am I being punished for something? Am I being, have I taken the right direction? Am I on the right path? And those are good questions we should ask. And Peter is saying, your suffering isn't those things. Your suffering is because you're following the truth. And that's not always going to win you friends. He's like, but you're going to still have your true friends with you. It's going to have some enemies. He's like, don't doubt about Jesus because that part's true. You're just like, keep going. And that's a good reminder. And that's why we need each other. Because if I'm going through something, maybe I need to look and ask, like, did I bring this on me? Am I doing something? And at times, I'm like, yep, you are. So fix it. And other times, it's like, no. 
It's just life. It's bringing hardship. Keep going in God's grace. So that is what Peter was doing for these fellow believers to say, you're on the right path. Persevere. Now, the last part where he says, holy kiss, that's also like, not just like, hey, give hugs to fellow people, but there was this this emphasis on, you are all separate house churches, but you need to be unified together. And when you share this letter with one another, greet each other and remember that you are connected in a familial relationship in Jesus. So finally, we get to this summary Every week, we've looked at the way Peter gives these believers a different name. He calls them something. He points out a piece of their identity. And today, he had called them, what, stewards of God's grace. So then what are they stewarding? He's challenging them to steward grace. The answer was in the first one. So how do we take all of these words from Peter, and he's given them to the believers in the first century, what do we take from it? Well, I think all the things we've already found are very relevant in our lives today. How do we steward God's grace? Well, just as Peter told the first believers, it's going to look different for each of us. Each of us are given different gifts and different opportunities to use those. And so he's just saying, use them. Don't keep them to yourself. Use them in the church. Use them to bless people outside of this church. Let's use the gifts God has given us, and that is stewarding his grace. And if you, I just believe that if you're praying about it, that God's going to show up. You're going to feel an urge to like, I don't know, I just felt like I should text this person. I haven't talked to him in a long time. You ever had somebody say, oh my goodness, thank you for reaching out today. How did you know? That's God's spirit. You're stewarding God's grace in that moment. But listen to those urges by God's Spirit to show up, to check in, to walk alongside someone, to just notice. Someone last week said, hey, did you notice so-and-so? They just looked sad at church. And I was like, thanks for noticing. She's like, I called them. And I'm like, that's awesome. I didn't see that. Glad you did. That's why we're looking out for one another. Just notice what we're going through. And you know what? God's grace... God's grace through Jesus was saying, I'm taking the weight of sin and guilt off of you. That's, that's one way to look at God's grace, is that God is carrying the weight, that Jesus came to earth to die for our sins, to carry the weight for us. And so if we're supposed to steward that grace, then I think that's just us going to other people and saying, let's carry the weight together, or better yet, Let's give it to God together. How can we go with someone and say, together we can hand this over to Jesus. He is ready to carry it. And sometimes that's hard to let go of ourselves, or we don't even know how, but we can carry the weight with each other. That's what being this family of God is all about. I was trying to figure out why that medley on the Beatles album just like gets me so excited every time. So I listened to all 16 minutes this morning, and this thought came to me right before church. Because <laughs> I remembered reading somewhere that out of all these pieces, you have all these like sad and lonely little narratives going on, and they individually sing. But when they sing Carry That Weight, all four of them come in together. That's the one piece of that medley where all four 
are singing together and they're rousing and that just, what a beautiful picture. None of them are carrying that weight alone. And they were going through junk and didn't know like that brought them joy to sing together. We were here together. You may have walked in alone, but you were not here alone. You may have come to faith at different points than anybody else in this room, but that's okay because we're all in the same foundation now together. Let's step into God's grace and know that we don't carry any of it, any of life alone. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for speaking through Peter. Thank you for demonstrating through Jesus that our weight doesn't have to be our own burden. That when things weigh us down in this world, when we hurt and we have pain, when we just have a lot, that you want to carry it with us because you care about us. That's why. Thank you for Peter's reminder that we can read again today. He wrote so long ago, you wanted him to remind people that they weren't alone and that you care so much. And we thank you that we can read those words and feel your message to us too. You care so much and you give us not just your own grace, but you give us each other. Help us to carry things with one another, even when we don't exactly know how. Help us to just show up and carry the weight with each other this week, this month, this year, and the days and months to come. Thank you for today's reminders. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.